Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 14. This is one of those sections where if you don't know anything from the book of of Ezekiel except one thing, it's probably this thing. And uh, you may not understand where it comes or why it comes here, but you've probably at least heard reference to this before. Uh, This is Ezekiel's vision of a valley of dry bones. And if you've never heard this before, well, today's your day. Um, This is when the people of Israel are going into exile, and they are outside of the land. What in the world is God doing with his people? It seems like all the promises that he has made have not uh, come to anything. And in fact, it looks like everything uh, is over, and there is no more hope of, uh, of God being faithful to his word or to his people or anything. And so as far as anyone can see, God's word has failed. But it's not over. And that's where this vision comes in. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and God, we do pray that you would help us to, um, to hear your word this morning. God, that it would give us a hope in our dark times, that it would give us um, a vision when we cannot see, or that we would have uh, faith and trust in you, knowing that you do, you do see, and you do know, and you do care, and you do love. Lord, we pray that you would help us uh, to know you better, that we would come to love and trust you more in everything that we face, knowing that you do know best. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 14. says, The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones, and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. 
Therefore, prophesy and say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. Turning then to Philippians chapter 3, verses 15 through 21. Paul writing from prison to the church in Philippi has been talking about a very different perspective that he has because of Jesus, a very different perspective than the rest of the world. And he picks it up with this. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some points, on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Does anybody know what is going to happen tomorrow? <laughs> Monday, we have, some, we have some guesses. I'm sure you have things on your schedule or your calendar for tomorrow, things that you plan to do. But let me ask again, does anybody know what's going to happen tomorrow? No, we don't, do we? And we don't know what's going to happen uh, tomorrow because we haven't lived tomorrow yet. Does anybody here know what happened yesterday? Some of you, maybe more than others. (laughs) Depends on how well you were paying attention or, uh, you know, whatever. Has anybody ever read or seen, uh, read books or seen movies, shows, whatever, involving time travel? Come on, everybody's done that. You least thought about what it would be like to be able to travel in time. And uh, I'm going to ask that we do a little bit of that today, at least in our heads. We do some time travel. Here's the thing. Uh, if you were to go back, you know, 200 years, you would know about things of today. But everybody you interact with wouldn't, right? Be how that would work. And so it would be pointless for you to talk to people about things like email. They don't even have a concept for that. And like, oh, yeah, I text people with my pocket computer. And they're like, I don't know what texting is, and I definitely don't know what a computer is. And that, it's just meaningless. And so if you were to go back in time, what is it you have to do? You kind of have to put yourself actually mentally in the position where they are 
and talk to them about the things that they know. Even though you know what's to come, you have to talk to them as though you don't know what's to come. Does that make sense? And that's what we're going to try to do today because we're starting today uh, the part in the book of John where we're looking at a story of a man named Lazarus. And if you know anything about a man named Lazarus, you probably know what happens later in the story. But Jesus' disciples and Lazarus' sisters didn't know what was going to happen later in the story yet. And so what we're going to do is we're going to kind of time travel, and we're going to pretend like we don't know what comes next. And we're going to look at what happens at the earlier part of the story, when Jesus first finds out what's going on with Lazarus and how he responds and what that means then uh, for us. This is John chapter 11, verses 1 through 16. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that the son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you. And yet you are going back. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. And that's where we're going to stop. And as I say, you probably know some things that happen later in this story, and we're just going to forget about those for right now. (laughs) And we're going to take this part of the story. And we're going to put ourselves in the position of the disciples. Being there with Jesus, we're going to put ourselves in the position of Mary and Martha as they wait for Jesus. And here's what we're going to look at first. The first um, seven verses. This is the, the message coming from the sisters to Jesus. Lord, the one you love is sick. And then Jesus hears this and he says, it's not going to end in death, it's for God's glory, so the Son of Man may be glorified through it. And then there's a couple sentences here that tie some things together that are really important for us to keep in mind. And uh, I, I will tell you right now, I 
do not intend to solve the traditional you know, theological problem of evil, as it's called, classical theological problem. Um, people have been talking about that for hundreds, thousands of years, all the way back to the book of Job. You've got people, Job and his friends talking about you know, how things work this way. How do you reconcile a good God with the suffering that we experience? Um, I don't intend to solve that uh, in the time that we have, but here's what I do intend to do. I want to point us kind of in the right direction. Here's the thing. Um, if you've ever done a puzzle where you get kind of all, it's like one of those three-dimensional puzzles. You get the whole thing together, and then you realize that there's like this, this piece that should have been in, in the beginning, but it's not. <laughs> and now there's no way to get it in, and so the whole thing doesn't stay together, and the whole thing just falls apart. What I want to do is, and you say, you know, if, if I'd known that this went in first, I could have built everything else around that, and we probably could have gotten somewhere. What I want to do this morning is just make sure that we know what those initial pieces are that we have to get in first, around which you can work on the rest of the puzzle. It doesn't mean there aren't still challenges. It means we've got to get these in first, or we're never going to get it solved. And, um, and the two things that I would uh, point out, and both of them are here in the text this morning, is the perspective of God is different than ours. And the love of God is consistent. In other words, he still loves us, even in the midst of our suffering. And a lot of times we don't remember that. Um, we have a perspective of uh, things of this world. And as uh, Paul was saying in the church in uh, in Philippi, you know, their mind is set on earthly things. And that's kind of where we get our minds set. And because of that, when we experience hard things in our life, it's so easy for us to either forget about or question the love of God for us. But that's one of the things we have to keep in mind is love is consistent and that he has a very different perspective. Like I say, there are still plenty of challenges uh, in this problem. But if we get those two things in first, we have at least some shot of <laughs> uh, working our way through that, that puzzle. So here's what I mean. When we look at uh, the situation with Jesus and the disciples, and they get this word, it says, now Jesus is verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Now think about this. The way that we would view this is if you get the word, and especially if you're Jesus and you have the power to heal, right? We've seen him do that already. He's got the power to heal. And so they send word and says, Lazarus is sick. And so you think, okay, if Jesus loves Lazarus, if he loves Lazarus' sister, if he has love for this family, then when he gets word that he's sick, what's he going to do? How's he going to show his love? He's going to drop whatever he's doing and he's going to get there immediately, Right? That's how we expect the story to go. Jesus loved this family, so when he heard the word, he left immediately and went to them. But that's not what it says. And it also doesn't say, like, we would have this, you know, conversely, we would expect that if Jesus stays, it's because he doesn't care. And what John does as he's writing this story is he makes sure to tie together the delay and the love. And so we actually see this as a delay of love, that he's actually saying it's because Jesus loved this family. He didn't go right away. And for us, we say that doesn't make any sense. 
If you love them, you got to go. But that's a very different perspective, isn't it? And the perspective Jesus has is, I do love them. I have love for them. I even have love for my disciples. And so we see uh, multiple times in here that this is going to be uh, for everybody's good later on. And so it's going to be good for, uh, for Lazarus. It's going to be good for his sisters. It's going to be good for the disciples. It's even going to be good for other people around. One of the things we are going to find out later is it's not going to be good for Jesus. <laughs> uh, that this is him going there. The disciples have it right. If he goes there, people are going to try to kill him. But Jesus knows that this will be good for others, and so he delays. Now, we do find out, and I'm going to skip us ahead a little bit here and there. We do find out that, uh, you know, at the end of this passage, that Lazarus is dead. We find out actually uh, in the next verse we haven't read yet that when they arrive, Lazarus has been dead for four days. He's already been in the tomb for four days. And so if we look at kind of the reconstruction of all of it and say, okay, if it takes a day for the messenger to get to Jesus, then they wait two days, then they take a day to get to, um, to Lazarus' family, that's four days. In other words, what it looks like is when the man left with the message that he's sick, it wasn't long after the guy left that Lazarus died. And so by the time Jesus gets the message, Lazarus is already dead. And so what we end up having is this delay of two days is not a delay that causes his death. This is a delay uh, of how long he's in the tomb before Jesus shows up. But still, even still, for the disciples, how does that feel? Lazarus, we hear, is sick, and here we stay. Apparently, we're not going. What are the conversations behind the scene? I thought Jesus loved them. I don't know, man. We're not going. I'm glad we're not going. It's dangerous down there anyway. <laughs> but then what are the conversations like at Lazarus' house? The messenger comes back on the second day. Did you find Jesus? Yeah. Well, what did he say? He's not coming. Well, not yet anyway. Why is he not coming? I thought he loved us. I thought we were close. I thought he cared. Why is he not coming? And that's the point, is at this point in the story, the disciples don't understand why. The family does not understand why. And that's where I say the, uh, the things we have to keep in mind are the things we usually forget, especially when the, in the experience of suffering and of pain, is that he does still love us. He also has a very different perspective than we have. And if we can at least keep those things in mind, um, like I say, it doesn't, it doesn't make it not hurt. <laughs> but it does make it different. Um, in the book of Job, when you get to the very end, God shows up. Job and his friends have been debating all the suffering that he's been going through. And at the end of the book, you expect, okay, God shows up, and now finally we're going to get the answer. And God is going to say, all right, I know You've been through a lot. Let me explain why. And that's like what we were hoping for as you get to that point in the book. And instead, God shows up and says, 
you don't know what you're talking about. Leave this to me. <laughs> I'm summarizing. I'm paraphrasing. But that's the idea. Where were, were you there when I formed the whole world? Were you there when I made this animal and that? Were you there when I put the constellations in their, spot, in their spots? No. And yet, you think you got this all figured out. <laughs> and we read that and we're like, oh, silly Job. And then we do exactly what he does. And we're like, I think I've got this all figured out. And I think God's messed up here. But it's a very different perspective. Let me give you a little illustration. If we were, if you're walking with a one-year-old out in a pasture somewhere and you see a rattlesnake down by their feet, what are you going to do? You're going to crouch down next to them and you're going to explain to them why they shouldn't be in this situation. And if they, oh, no, you're not, are you? And what are you going to do? You're going to reach down and you're going to grab them up as quickly as you can. And you're going to get out of there. You're going to get them away from the danger, even though what's their response going to be? Oh, they're going to cry. (laughs) They're going to cry. And if they were walking over because they saw a kitty and they were going to go pet the kitty, and now you have just removed from them the thing that they wanted to do, and instead you've caused pain. Now their shoulder hurts from where you grabbed them up, and, uh, and you've taken them away from this thing. They're one-year-old. They're not going to be able to understand this. You're not going to be able to explain to them, well, honey, you see, there's this. (laughs) No. Instead, what are you going to do? You're just going to hold them and be so glad that they didn't get bit, right? Um, I heard a pastor recently talking about uh, suffering in in the life of a Christian and how, you know, God doesn't waste any of it. But he said, here's the thing. From our perspective, it's not like this typically. But the Christian perspective is this. God's perspective is this, that an ounce of sin is far worse than 10,000 pounds of suffering. Oh, we don't live like that's true at all, do we? No, we say, you know, a little bit of sin here and there, fine, but just keep the suffering away. That's more paganism. That's more idolatry kind of thing. The Christian perspective, what we see all through the Bible, is an ounce of sin is worse for us than 10,000 pounds of suffering. In the same way that uh, the bite of the rattlesnake would be far worse for the child than getting yanked up and hauled to safety. Now, granted, Every analogy breaks down somewhere. That one does as well. But hopefully we can understand enough that as much of a difference of perspective that we have as adults to a one-year-old, that there is a far greater difference of perspective from us and the God who created the whole universe. Right? Can we at least get on board with that? (laughs) Maybe he's got a bigger perspective than we've got. Um. This is where, like I say, if we keep those two things in mind, uh, that he has a bigger perspective than we do, but a better perspective than we do, and that he still loves us all the way through, um, I think those are very helpful. Like I say, it's still hard, and there are still uh, challenges to face. If we get those two right, that goes a long way uh, in helping us as we walk through our own suffering but back to Jesus and his disciples and Lazarus. So first, we saw this delay of love. Um, 
And I did intentionally spend more time on that. <laughs> so I think that is a harder part for us. We're going to hit these next sections a little quicker. Um, verses 8 through 10 have this clear vision. Rabbi, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you. You're going back, and Jesus says, there are not 12 hours of daylight. Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. In other words, looking here, the disciples, can they see clearly? Hmm. Kind of. <laughs> they know that the area where he's going is dangerous. But what they see is the danger. They don't see the mission. What Jesus sees is the danger and the mission. <laughs> And he has a clearer vision than what they have. And so this is where he's talking about the daylight and the darkness. And he's like, look, as long as I'm doing what my father has given me to do, we're good. That's what we're going to do. And so this is, um, this is this whole walking in the daylight kind of thing. It's when you walk at night that you stumble for you have no light. Um, I think we're good on that, at least understanding what he's talking about in those terms. 11 through 15, we have a hard word. After he'd said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe but let us go to him. You may have had to give people a hard word. You may have had to receive a hard word. This is one of those moments where Jesus um, delivers the message, but they don't understand. This is actually one of the things that we see throughout the Gospel of John is people seeing what Jesus does and they don't understand it. Or they hear what he says and they don't understand it. And then later, they understand it. Like that's, there's this, they hear it, they don't understand it, it's clarifying, and then they do. And here we see that again. He says, you know, Lazarus is asleep, I'm going to wake him up. And the disciples, of course, who still don't want to go into this dangerous area, are like, you know what, if he's sleeping, that's good. Let's just let him sleep. He'll sleep it off, everything will be fine. And I don't know if you've ever had to give somebody difficult news and you tried to kind of soften the blow at first. And because it's news they didn't want to hear, they didn't hear it. And then you had to say, no, listen, here's what I'm talking about. Well, that's what Jesus does here. And he has to give them this hard news. And he says, look, Lazarus is dead. But then what he goes on with is not what you would expect him to go on with. When he says Lazarus is dead, he then says, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. In other words, it's still back to this delay. It's still back to, if Jesus had been there, how might the story have been different? If Jesus had been there before Lazarus dies, maybe he heals Lazarus. If Jesus is there right after he dies, and he just immediately goes over and raises him from the dead, People say, well, I'm glad you know how to resuscitate someone. Good thing you took those CPR classes. But that's not what's going on at all. 
And so instead, it's going to be four days before Jesus even gets there. And so he says, you know, Jesus knows what's coming. And because Jesus knows what's coming, I'm glad for your sake that I wasn't there when this happened. Now, let's go. And I think this whole thing would be, um, would be difficult for Jesus. I think he probably did feel that pull to go. On the other hand, he's staying in the Father's will. But at this point when he says, let's go, the disciples, I think he also has, he knows what's coming when he gets there. He knows what it's going to mean for him. He also knows what it's going to mean for Lazarus and his family. He knows what it's going to mean for the disciples. And this ability that he has to uh, lay down his life for his friends, as he talks about. This uh, willingness to lay down his life for his friends, this willingness to put others ahead of himself and do things for their good, even if it's hard for him, even if it's hard for them. That's what I'm going to do. And so it is a hard word, but I think it may be harder than just delivering bad news. I think this is the hard word of obedience when he says, let's go. And then finally, we have a response. What is the response? We uh, All the way through John, we see this same kind of thing where some respond where they believe, some respond where they don't believe. It's not really what we get this time. We do get a response. This has happened now. What is the response? And it's a response from a guy uh, known as Thomas, also known as Didymus, also known as Doubting Thomas, right? That's how we know him. We know him as Doubting Thomas because of one moment in his life <laughs> when he expressed some doubt. We'll talk about that at a different time. But here, I think if this had been the moment that we chose to give him a nickname, he'd have a different nickname. He might be, uh, you know, dutiful Thomas or uh, devoted Thomas or really courageous Thomas. So what does he say? Jesus just said, let's go. Everybody knows it's dangerous. And Thomas says to the rest of the disciples, kind of rallying the troops, says to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Is he talking about Lazarus being dead? No. He's talking about Jesus dying. They know that the last time they were in that area, people were trying to stone Jesus. And yes, they escaped, but maybe we won't this this time. Now we know they're already looking for him. Uh, He is a wanted man. If we show our faces in that area with him, probably going to be the end of our lives. And yet, and you talk about courage being not, not the absence of fear, being afraid and doing the right thing anyway, right? And this is what we see with Thomas, is he knows, just like the other disciples know, that this is danger ahead. And yet, if Jesus says this is the way to go, then he says, then here we go. Even if that means that they are going to die, which from his perspective, he really doesn't see another way. Like I said at the beginning, we're not looking ahead quite yet. In the weeks to come, we'll see what happens next. But for today, I want us to sit with this 
with this passage, with this response of Thomas even. As we respond to the situations that we don't fully understand, Thomas doesn't understand what's about to happen. He doesn't understand fully why it is that Jesus delayed and didn't go. He doesn't understand a lot of what's happening here. But what he does know, what he does know is enough to have a response of courage and of following Jesus. One of the things we read in Philippians uh, 3. No, that's first John. In Philippians 3, uh, where we started in 15, it says, All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. He says, Only let us live up to what we have already attained. In other words, no, you may not understand everything yet. That's fine. But you probably do understand some things. Do those things. In the areas where you already understand Jesus to be leading, follow him. In the things that you understand Jesus to be saying, obey him. Do the things that you do know. And don't worry about uh, understanding everything just yet. Does anybody here know what's going to happen tomorrow? No. You think Jesus knows what's going to happen tomorrow? Yeah. He has a different perspective. One of the things I'm always praying is that God will prepare us today for the things that are coming tomorrow. And in this book, he has done a lot of that already. (laughs) If we will pay attention, if we will remember the things that he has said, that is, um, and live that out. That would be our response of courage, even when we don't understand. The first hymn we sang today was How Firm a Foundation. And I highly recommend you go back and just read the words. I'm not going to read them all to you right now. But uh, the first verse of that song is talking about how we have this firm foundation that God has given us in his word. And then it goes through. The next three verses are all uh, different things that God has said in his word, um, promises that he has made that we can cling to, especially in times of suffering or of difficulty. And so, like I say, go back through and read that again. And remember that when we don't understand, God does, and he still loves. And then, knowing at least that, we can respond. Not out of our understanding, but out of our trust in the one who does love, who does understand, and who sees more than we see. So as we go from here, I pray that we would be empowered by the Spirit to have this response of courage in continuing to follow and walk in the light even when we have a hard time seeing. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.